Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast. I am so excited to have a new guest here with us today, someone who has never, ever joined us before, but someone that I've known for probably like a decade now. We kind of went our own separate ways and went on our own journeys, and then I came across Steph again on social media, and I was like, oh my God, she's still as bubbly and amazing as ever, but she's also sober too. And I was like, me too. And I messaged her and I was like, Steph, I would love to have you on the podcast to discuss your sobriety journey and her new incredible brand, Carews, that she has launched, which is so cute, so sexy, so chic. I'm so excited to get into all of it. But today we're going to be discussing sobriety and anxiety and how you can still be that girl without the alcohol this holiday season. And I feel like Steph is the perfect person to take us on this journey because I think we're really similar. Like we both still have so much fun and taking alcohol out of our life has definitely not been like a limitation. And I guess that's my first question for you. Would you say that removing alcohol from your life has been like a game-changing positive or would you say it's been like it's had some limitations as well? Gosh, what a question. And also thank you for for such a lovely intro. I think, do you know what? It's added to my life in so many ways, but it's taken time for me to really acknowledge the way that it's added to my life because it was such a big change. Like you and I met probably in our party years when we were both in London, we were going out quite a lot. Our memories together probably revolve around alcohol, which is so funny that now we are both sober. But as much as taking out a substance and kind of a huge part of my life, I would say that it's added to my quality of life so much more. And I think that's the reason why I stay consistent now because I just absolutely love how it makes me feel. I love that because I think it's so easy for people to hear you saying or us both saying, oh, sobriety is amazing. Like sobriety changed my life without digging into some of the nuances that like, yeah, it does take change. You do sometimes feel lonely or you do sometimes think, should I be doing this? And I'm so excited for us to dig into that. But I'd love to start with, you know, you mentioned the party girl and the going out. Would you say that you classified as a big party girl before going sober? Because I still think there's this misconception that you should only go sober if you have a problem. Mm. Yeah. So I never actually had a problem with alcohol. I would say I was probably more of a fun loving girl rather than a party girl in the sense that if my friends were going out on a Thursday, Friday and Saturday, I'd go with them or we'd do trips to Ibiza, but I wasn't like out every single night, getting wasted every single night. I'd go wherever the fun was, wherever my friends were, that's where I would go. And I think it took me a long time to realize the negative effects of alcohol because I was in this cycle of like, you go out a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday, you're hungover on the Sunday, you don't feel quite right the Monday, Tuesday, maybe you come back to life on the Wednesday and then you're out again Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I was in this circle of not actually 
acknowledging where the anxiety was coming from or or what was the root cause of it. And it basically everything came down to the alcohol. And I thought, okay, let's try removing this and see where we go. So yes, I was a party girl, but not as probably hardcore as people assume when I say I'm now sober. That's the thing, isn't it? People are always like, oh, she must have a problem. And I know that a big part of you stopping was this whole anxiety thing. And I'd love it if you could tell me a little about that because I did get the anxiety, but I also got like the physical sickness. My hangovers were so bad. I would like vomit. And looking back, I was just like, ah, I just have a sensitive body. No, I was just drinking so much. What was the next day like for you? Yeah, I definitely relate to the anxiety feeling. And I think a lot of people listening will relate to it as well. I kind of, the way I speak is kind of to those middle lane drinkers. You know what I mean? Like the ones, I think more people can relate to regular consumption of alcohol rather than having a problem. And that was definitely me. And I would have the best nights out. Like the the nights out that I would have, I would have so much fun with my friends. Couldn't always remember it and there'd be blanks in my memory, but I would have so much fun. I wouldn't, like you said, I wouldn't get sloppy. There's probably like, one picture that I use in all my content from when I did get sloppy on my 21st. But other than that, like I just would have an amazing time, but it was always the next day I would wake up and my heart would be pounding out of my chest. I would panic. And even though I knew I didn't do anything to embarrass myself, I would overthink every situation, every conversation I had with someone, everything I did, even if I danced, I'd be like, oh my God, was that inappropriate? Who did I talk to? And the intrusive thoughts and the rapid heart rate would just be uncontrollable for all of the next day and most of the next after that. And that was actually one of the biggest catalysts in me quitting alcohol in the first place. There was one morning when I woke up, probably wasn't the worst hangover I've ever had, but was definitely the worst anxiety. And I was like, enough is enough. Like I can't, I can't keep doing this. I feel like maybe most people just think, oh, it's just the next day. Then they go to work on the Monday and they still don't feel quite so good. And some people will understand, oh yeah, that's still the alcohol. And some people will just think maybe they have anxiety or they just don't like their job. I think to understand the biological level that alcohol impacts us on can really help us understand why the anxiety is so bad. And I really relate to you, like the overthinking that, oh my God, like, did I do something? Did I say something? Like, I remember this one time I ended up like out in Clapham. I mean, no one goes out in Clapham. And I was like stood on the bar and I was like playing the bongos. (gasps) And I was like, oh my God, at the time it was so funny. And then I woke up the next day and I just like, there was video footage of me like on the bar playing the bongos, which is fine. There's nothing like wrong with that. And like, I was just having a good time. But the next day I was just like, fuck, did you like need to do that? And I was so embarrassed. So around the anxiety, would you say that that went on for like a substantial period of time before you decided to make a change? How long would you say that went on for? Or was it just your whole drinking life? No, it was definitely like a hot girl summer. So I'd gone through a breakup in, I want to say the January, February, and it was, I'd kind of vowed it to be the year of yeses. I was going to say yes to my friends, yes to going out. So during that whole summer, probably from about May time until about, mm, maybe even early in that, probably for my birthday in April till about June, July, I was literally like, I'm not feeling right within this. And I think it is because alcohol affects the decision-making part of your brain. So like things that I would do when I was drunk, I would never even dream of doing when I was sober. For example, once my phone got stolen and I logged in to find my friends onto one of my best friend's phones, I found where my phone was. I found a group of full-grown men that were holding my phone. I was so drunk. I walked up and I was like, that's my phone. 
And they were like, mm, no, it's not. And I was like, well, is, is your granddad, is that your granddad? Because that's my granddad. <gasps> Where did I get this confidence from? And I bol- I was wearing heels, like a mini dress. And I was like, give me back my phone. I didn't know these men. Like they'd obviously stolen my phone. They could have done anything. But I think they were so shocked by my confidence. They were like, yeah, fine, take it back. And then I walked back to the club by myself. Like I'd left this club. Followed- oh my God, you left the club. I thought this was yeah. in the club. No, no, this was down some like side alley. Things like that I would just never do when I was sober. So it was definitely a hot girl summer. So I basically had broken up with someone in the February. I'd met someone in the July. And then from the July all the way to the following May, I was just in this love bubble. And I was going out with my friends. And even though I was kind of speaking to this new guy of my dreams, I was still going out with my friends all the time. And it was around the May time where I was just really not okay with how I was feeling this anxiety. And also I think because my partner was a rugby player, it's a huge drinking culture, like him and all his friends, neck drinks. It's a party trick to try and neck a drink in two seconds. And I thought, yeah, I can keep up with the boys. So my drinking increased, which meant the anxiety increased. And also my ability to make decisions was just warped. Like I would just do stupid things. Like I remember all the rugby boys were going to a strip club and I was like, yeah, I'll come. Girls go to strip clubs. I got kicked out for dancing on a pole and then giving a stripper like therapy. (laughs) And like, these are things that I would just never have the confidence to do when I was sober. So I think it's definitely like in the moment, it feels like the best idea in the world. And then the next morning it's like, oh no, I definitely shouldn't have done that. And now I'm really embarrassed. and I feel so much guilt and shame within that version of myself that I can't even relate to. Oh yeah, I relate to this so much. To what you said about ending up in situations that maybe you shouldn't have been in. Like, I honestly look back at my life. Like, I remember this one time that I was in Thailand. I mean, this is mental. I was so hot because it was so sweaty in Thailand. I went into a 7-Eleven. I tried to get in the freezer. As I went in, I smashed it with my elbow. So I was in the freezer bleeding, like, but I was like, oh, I'm okay because I'm cool. But obviously because I was so drunk, I didn't realize that there was like blood everywhere. And then I realized and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to get arrested and I'm in Thailand and I'm 19 years old. So I ran down a side alley. Same thing. Then the police came. I would like never have been in that situation if I was sober. And I always say now, my parents must be so grateful that I'm now sober Mm. because they don't have to worry about me. Do you think that your parents feel the same way that everything's just a little bit safer for you now? Or do you think that that isn't something that really crossed their mind before? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think they obviously don't know the extent to like the stupid decisions that I've made. I'm very open with my mum, but obviously there's some things I probably wouldn't tell her. And my dad, there's just even fewer things I would tell him. So I think they definitely feel safer knowing because usually now I drive to situations and I drive to events with my friends. So they know that I've got a way of getting home. Whereas I used to get taxis home from London at like a ridiculous time. And one of our neighbors actually said to my parents once like, oh, I've been seeing Steph coming home really, really, really late consistently for a while. Does she work nights? And I was like, no, I was just going out three nights a week. So it was just like, I don't think they ever distrusted me, but I just didn't trust myself. And like looking back now, I really would not have trusted myself. The amount of times I've lost phones or just got myself into sticky situations that would never have happened if I had all of my, what's the word? (laughs) My friend actually used to go out with a bag of marbles. And if she was absolutely (laughs) wasted, she'd be like, oh, well, it's fine. At least I've still got my marbles. I've not lost my marbles. And it was like this running joke. And like, yeah, it was pretty funny, but like sometimes she would get into the most horrendous situations and then be like, well, I've still got my marbles. And funny enough, she's now sober as well. Oh, yay for the sober crew. <laughs> I I also have lost so many bank cards, so many phones. Like yeah. we also just hear the craziest stories. Like I remember one time my friends left a club in central London and those like tuk-tuks 
they got on the back of that of one of those and they like met some guys and they were like, oh, after party. Yeah, sure. Like, let's go to the after party. Oh, let's just go to the cash point. I feel like at this point they were like probably trying to pick up drugs. So they needed like cash or something. They got to the cash point and the guys from the tuk-tuk held them up at gunpoint and made them empty their bank account. And these were just some like handsome guys. Yes, that they met on the back of a tuk-tuk after coming out of Cirque or like, no, I don't even know what the clubs are called. How bad is that? That is horrendous. But do you know what? It happens. And like the amount of times that I would just get in, I'd book Addison Lee's, but I didn't have an Addison Lee account in terms of like my card being associated with one. So I'd just be like, oh, stop at a a cash point on the way home. And I would be in like the arse end of London, like, because I didn't live in London. So my taxi's home. Oh my God, the bills of taxis. I was going to say, that must have been so expensive. At the time you're like, oh yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I just want to stay out. I'll stay out. I'll miss the last train, whatever. But I would be literally going to cash points by myself in like the arse end of nowhere, then getting back in, like everyone wants me to get cash out, getting back into a taxi and then this taxi dropping me home. Like it was just, I feel so much safer now as a woman with my own choices, knowing that I have all of my bearings and I know all of my surroundings and I just feel so much more in control of my life. And maybe that's because I'm older now and I've got more fear and I'm I'm less naive. And I think it definitely, I would have been a hundred percent less naive had I have not drunk to the extent that I did. Yeah, you're so right. And you spoke about meeting your now partner and how he was a rugby player and there was all of this big group drinking and stuff like that. I think one of the questions that I get a lot when I talk about sobriety is people saying they want to go sober or they're sober curious, but they feel like they won't have a friendship group anymore if they don't drink. Is that something that you have ever related to along your journey? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's one thing I've noticed because I kind of did a 30 day alcohol free challenge. I set myself, it was kind of just over three weeks. I was going away with my partner. It was the longest holiday I'd ever been on. And I was like, I'm going to try and be sober this whole time. Like I feel safe with you. I want to remember this whole experience. And if not now, when, like it'll be easier to try it here and then try and bring it back to London. Anyway, so when I got back, I loved how I was feeling and I felt so incredible within myself that I had the confidence to say to my friends, I'm not drinking. And of course, at first, they were like, just have one, go on, don't be boring. And that kind of chat creeps up. But I think I was just confident enough within myself to be like, I know that this makes my body feel better. And I'd already been on like an explorative journey post eating disorder where I knew that fueling my body made me feel better as uncomfortable as it was at the time. So I was willing to kind of put in the work. But I think I went too far extreme the other way. So I felt like within my friendship groups that were based around alcohol, I felt almost like I had to prove myself as being the fun sober girl. So like I would do stupid shit still, still being sober, but then I would stay out until like three or four in the morning because I felt like I had to prove to everyone that was fun. And again, that was at detriment to myself. So it really took probably about a year and a half, two years to really stabilize and actually understand that I can go out with boundaries. I can go out with my friends. I have nothing to prove. They love me for who I am and the friendships that we've made up until this point. I can go and then know when it's my time to smoke bomb and leave. And if that's before 12, that is okay. And I think that comes with confidence and dipping your toe into it more and more and more. And also your friends understanding. And I know for a fact that my friends wouldn't have cared if I left at 12 or 4am because they were wasted anyway. Oh, so many things you've said that I want to touch on there. First of all, the smoke bombing. I relate so hard. I was going to ask you if your nights end quicker or end sooner, because people always say to me, what's changed? And there are so many things that have changed for the better. But one thing I say is I just do not make it to the 4am's anymore. And I don't even want to, like I probably could, like you, I could probably push through. Would you say that 
you get home more around the 12, the two, or is it really like night dependent? It's really night dependent because I've got some friends that still book dinner reservations for 9 p.m. And I'm thinking, right, well, I usually eat at 6 p.m. So I'm going to have to have a dinner. And then I'm just, I just tell myself, like, I'm just living in a different time zone. This Friday, I'm in LA because I'm not living in UK hours. But then some friends will meet up for dinner at six and I'll be home and in bed by half nine. And I think it's really dependent because sometimes I will go out with my friends. And if we are having an amazing time and it goes from dinner to a bar, to a club, to an afters, I will want to be there. But I do most of the time drive so that I have full control over my evening. So the moment I want to leave, I can. And I've also noticed that like, I don't have to justify myself all the time. I don't have to be like, oh, I've got plans tomorrow. Like I've got family roast. Like I think one thing that the Olsen twins have always said perfectly is that no is a full sentence. So like if I want to leave and someone asks me why, like I can literally just say it's because I want to. I love that. Would you say that you made excuses at the beginning when you were less confident and like firm in your belief and your position? Oh, 100%. I felt like I had to because one thing I didn't want to do is like offend my friends. Like if they're out and having a good time, I didn't want them to think that I wasn't having a good time. So I'd be like, I'd always say before the night out, like, oh, I've got a really early start tomorrow. I've got an event or I'm driving to see family. And like, I would just come up with things just so that I had an out clause if I needed it. Whereas now I'm like, I've had a great night, but it's time for me to leave. And they're like, cool, that's fine. And I think I also felt I had something to prove because I didn't want my friends to stop inviting me out. But realistically, they loved it because I would pick them up from their houses or drive all the way to Clapham, pick them up and then take them into Central. Like they were buzzing about it. So I think it comes with confidence and you have to be sure of yourself enough to know that like your friends love you for you, whether you're drunk or you're sober and they don't care about the substance in your body. They care about spending time with you. And whether that's for an hour, two hours or seven, I think you just need to know that you're worthy of choosing how you spend your time. So yeah, that would be my feedback to anyone who is worried about their friendships. And the people that would say, just have one, don't be boring. And like, I've been there. I remember that I went to a, I was actually so upset by this. I remember I went to a day party at the Ned and we're going to get onto alternatives and the incredible brand that you've created. But I would be drinking Diet Coke because I was like, oh my God, I need the energy because this is a day party going into a night party. And I remember I say, I want to order a Diet Coke and they'd go to the bar and they would get me a vodka Diet Coke and then give it to me and I'd drink it. And I'd be like, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I, I said I didn't want this. And I just felt so disrespected. Like, like, you're trying to break my sobriety for me. And so just moving forward, I basically moved into a space of ordering my own drinks or actually just like knowing that my true friends would never do that. That was just like the people at the party that couldn't comprehend that you could have fun without drinking. For the people that would say to you, like, just have one, don't be boring. How would you deal with that today? Because this episode is going to go out in December. So it's holiday season. It's the time of year when people are going to be drinking more than ever, more social events than ever, feeling more pressurized than ever. For someone that is listening and they get told, just have one or don't be boring. If you were hit with that question, what would your answer be? I think it's hard in the beginning because you've not got the confidence yet. And especially if you're more sober curious than labeling yourself as sober, it's hard to dip in and out because you don't have set boundaries because you want to be flexible. And I think a lot of people are going to go into December thinking more of a damp lifestyle rather than a dry one. So I think it is difficult to differentiate between the don't be boring. And do you know what I mean? Like the difference I noticed when saying I'm not drinking tonight versus I don't drink is huge. So I think you'd have to just be like, if you have the confidence, I'd flip it back as a question and say, you think I'm boring because I don't drink 
or am I boring in your company? And then they go, uh, 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 uh. And you can be like, I'm actually having a really good time and I'm just on water. So if you need to drink, that's fine, but I don't need to. And then suddenly it makes them question their behaviors around alcohol and it shuts down the conversation. And you just say it with a smile, like you don't need to get defensive. And I've noticed that going into every situation, because at the end of the day, whether it's you're eating plant-based or you choose not to wear leather or you choose not to drink alcohol, like when you vocalize that, it is challenging someone else's beliefs. And I think you do have to tread gently because you shouldn't have to, but some people will then get defensive because it's like they think that you have this superiority complex over them, which isn't the case at all. Like you're just very self-aware in terms of what works for you and what doesn't. So I think just say everything with a smile, be like, look, I am having a great time and I'm only on water. Like, honestly, don't worry about me and just leave it at that. And if someone keeps pushing you, just move the conversation. There'll be enough people at an event to just be like, I'm fine. Like if you have an issue with it, you go drink some more, but I am fine with what I am putting into my body. Oh, that point around superiority is so interesting because I remember at the beginning of Open House, we did exactly this, like how to survive the holiday season. It wasn't necessarily about sobriety. We spoke about sobriety as part of it and it was such a positive workshop, but someone replied to my story being like, you think you're so superior, how you don't drink. I've never thought I'm superior. Like I am sober because my life is a hundred times better this way. It has nothing to do with anyone else around me. Like you said, it's so interesting that sometimes people's responses says more about them and how they feel, maybe that they could never imagine being fun without alcohol than it really says about you. And I want to ask if you have lost any friends along the way or you felt like some people have fallen away or whether actually you had a really solid friend group to start with and that's just stayed throughout? I think the way I see my friends has definitely shifted. I had a lot of like friends who were London club promoters (laughs) and obviously I'm not seeing them three nights a week anymore. So it's shifted, but friends that I used to go out with and party a lot have kind of evolved in their own lives anyway. Like I wouldn't say everyone's going clubbing every weekend anymore, like we were in our early twenties. And I think this would be a very different conversation if I was at uni or if I was just fresh out of uni or something like that. Or if I worked a city job, like I'd understand the pressures would be completely different. But my kind of good time friends that I used to go partying with, we now just go for like gorgeous dinners and we still catch up and we still joke. And like even recently, my friend started hosting games nights. So she invites us all over. She sets one date a month. We all go over. People who drink, drink. People who don't, don't. She orders pizzas for everyone. There's different games and it's a different kind of fun. And I think that would be my advice as well, is like not every activity you do with your friends has to be around alcohol. There's bowling, there's the cinema, like this, especially in London, there is so much that you can do. And I think instigating some of those plans and being like the ringleader on some alcohol free plans, even if it's a Sunday roast or a brunch where alcohol isn't involved, just like have the confidence to suggest it to the friendship group. And I think some of them might actually be grateful for it because I know so many people my age who can't hack going out all the time anymore. Oh, you are so right. And I think that you and I met in the wellness industry about a decade ago. So we were already very into like brunches and working out and stuff. So I feel like for me, it wasn't too difficult. Like I just love to still see people for breakfast, for lunch, go for a dog walk, get a coffee. Like you said, go bowling, do anything really. And I love a dinner, like a dinner and then home to bed is like my dream night out. Like that is perfect for me. But I do really resonate with people that 
if all of your social life revolves around going out, it would probably be a more difficult transition than you and I have experienced. But I love what you said around just try, just test, like suggesting something different because you'll then start to see the people that are open to a real friendship in the daylight or a real friendship that is just you two for the truth of who you are. And I want to ask about your boyfriend. So the reason I want to ask about this is because I watch all of the incredible races and like Ironmans and just like the craziest stuff that he does. So he's obviously so, so fit and healthy as a you. And I've been following your running journey as well. When you decided to jump into this space of sobriety, how did your boyfriend support it? Because initially I thought, oh, he would have been all on board because he's an athlete. But then you've also said that the rugby boy crew is like very party heavy. So how did he support that transition for you? I think he was just very supportive as a human anyway. So he was very much like, yeah, amazing. If that's what you want to do, I'll support you. But I also made it clear that I wasn't expecting him to completely change his ways. Like we'd been together just under a year by the time I decided to go sober. So he'd known me drinking for a year, but also I was plant-based at the time. And he had started to open himself up to more plant-based living and and was getting so much stick from the boys. Imagine a rugby player being like, I eat vegetables over meat now. And during that time, like it was definitely around the time where I felt like I had to justify myself and and was almost trying to prove myself as being the fun-loving person. But I also loved my partner drunk. It was so conflicting because I saw a side of him that no one else did. Like this silly, goofy side of him that I absolutely adored that made me laugh beyond. And then when he got drunk, everyone else saw that. Everyone else saw his silly dance moves because this huge confidence came out of him when he was drunk. But he had an alter ego called Hank. Like There was like seven stages of Hank. And there were like parts in the night where you're meeting the different stages. And if you do meet Hank, like it's it's home time, like we've got to get going. (laughs) So there were a few occasions where like our evenings were just so different. Whereas he was like going to stage six and I was ready for my bed. So I always wanted to nurture his journey. I think for me to be like, I'm sober, so now you are too, it would be really difficult. And I know in the early stages, one of our favorite things to do was to go to like sit by a really cute pub, by a fireplace, share a bottle of red wine, and we couldn't do that anymore. But then during lockdown, his rugby season ended and he actually decided to retire after quite a bad injury from rugby. And then he found running. Anyway, he's been on his complete own journey and he has explored different ways of the fueling himself in the best way possible for races. And he's actually found that kind of limiting alcohol on the build up to a race is really beneficial for his fitness. And sure, when he goes out with the rugby boys, he will still drink. And I think he is the perfect example of a conscious drinker in the sense like he went on a stag do recently and all the boys were getting wasted. And it wasn't until 11 PM that he actually wanted to have a drink. He had a couple of beers and that was it. And he was fine. And I've literally watched him transform himself from someone who did not know their limit and would just drink and plow through and drink anything that was handed to him. And I mean anything, it might've been like a pint of piss and he would have drunk it, like horrendous. But like, I've watched him have this amazing journey and I don't think I'll drink again, but to me, it's amazing to see that someone can do that. And I would never say to him, you can't drink again. And he will pick and choose when he wants to. And I think that's a really beautiful relationship because I think it can throw a little bit of an imbalance to begin with, but if you communicate through it and you talk through it, it can be a beautiful thing. 
You are so right. And also the the coach story just reminded me of one of my friend's weddings. One of my friend's now husbands, basically there were, I think the wedding was like in Norwich. So there was like one coach going back to London and one coach going to like Birmingham or like to the Midlands. And he got on, because he was so shit-faced, he got on the wrong coach and then basically like ended up in Birmingham at like 4am, but was like so drunk. And his like now wife was in London and she was like, where the fuck are you? And I think you're so right. It's about supporting someone else's journey as as well as doing yours. Like I would never say to my partner, don't drink. I personally wouldn't like it if he took a lot of drugs. Like that just for me is like, but I really think it is about finding a healthy, conscious person and you being a healthy, conscious person and just like living life together. And you guys look like you have that, which is so beautiful. And I'm so happy for you. If you were single today, would you put this on your dating app that you were sober or would you like tell them in person? How do you think you would approach that? This has been something I've thought about a lot because I think being open and vulnerable about your entire journey, especially sobriety, a lot of people who maybe don't feel safe to speak to their friends and family about it do DM me and they ask so many questions about how do you navigate dating sober? And that's something that I've not actually been through. So I actually did drink when I met my current partner, but during that dating phase, I would go out with people and I would go on dates with people and I think that I was in love and I'd start planning the wedding and I'd be like, oh my God, he's my soulmate. They'd say like, oh, I went to Portugal once and I'd be like, oh my God, that's a sign. So have I, like I would, I'm such a person for signs and I would just match all of these things when I was drunk. It would get to the third date. I'd be stone cold sober and I'd be like, you actually repulse me. We have nothing in common. And I think now if I were to navigate it sober, one, I would waste so much less time. I wouldn't waste nearly as much time on people that weren't suited to me. But also, if you can't actively say to someone, I do not drink alcohol and they accept it, how are they going to accept other parts of you? And I think being open and vulnerable, maybe you don't have to put it on your dating app like a badge of honor. I wear mine like a badge of honor. And I think it's something that is such a huge part of my journey and my story. But even if just in the conversations, when you're planning that first meetup, that first date, you say, oh, should we go for a coffee and a walk rather than a drink? And then you just articulate it within the first meeting and their reaction is going to tell you everything. If they react and they're like, oh my God, you're so boring, blah, 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 blah. That's already a red flag. And I would just want to pass on that anyway. Like the fact that Lou was so respectful to me making these decisions and making these choices. And he was so nurturing. I know for a fact he would have done that when we were first meeting. And I understand that dating and and showing parts of yourself to a new person is extremely vulnerable and some people need the alcohol. And I think some guys might feel threatened by it because they might not feel comfortable to drink, which means they'd have to expose themselves. But I think that would create a deeper connection anyway, because it would be based on truth and energy and connection rather than lucid memories throughout a boozed evening. So I personally see so much power in sober dating. And I think, again, it would come from a mindset shift. And rather than pre-drinks before you're going out to meet someone, you just have a a little chat with yourself to give you the kind of like pump up of confidence that you'll need to then go and meet someone. I could not agree more. I think I ha- oh, actually haven't used dating profiles for years, but I've been sober for nearly five years now. So I probably have used one at some point. I think I put it on my profile because like you said, for me, it's a badge of honor. It's nothing that I'm ashamed of. I'm actually so proud of it. Like people ask me, what's the thing that I'm most proud about in in the whole world? And I I genuinely think for me, it is being sober for nearly half a decade. Would you say that it's one of the things that you are most proud of? Yeah, I think so. I think as well, like really going against the status quo and against the society norms. 
it's hard. Like it's so much easier just to go out and drink, especially in the UK. Like it's such a boozy central place and every celebration and condolence and everything is surrounded by alcohol. So yeah, I think I am proud of it. If you asked me a couple of years ago, probably I wouldn't have felt confident enough to say that. But now like, I also love the beautiful conversation it starts especially when I'm meeting new people and I say, oh no, I actually don't drink. Like the amount of people that then are open and vulnerable, I'm really grateful for that. I think everything as a whole has deepened, whether it's my memories and and the moments that I actually remember or the connections that I have with my friends and family. Like I'm, I think I'm proud of that. Like I'm so happy with the life that I've built around sobriety and I have so much clarity within that, that I'm so grateful for it. And I think from the outside looking in, people would probably say that we are two of the most confident people that they know. Like, I think we both have very similar energy. We're so bubbly. We'll be up on that stripper's pole, sober, like on the bongos, down the side alley, making friends with whoever the fuck is down there. But would you say that you ever used alcohol as like a confidence crutch? Because I think one of the things that I find harder to explain is when people say to me, I really want to go sober, but I just don't feel confident without it. And it's something that I don't necessarily relate to because you could throw me in a room with anyone. And even if I might internally be like, oh, this is a little bit uncomfortable, I could just put on a smile and like push through. Did you ever feel you used it for confidence or you had that confidence from within, which maybe made it easier to go sober? Such an interesting question because I would say I came across as confident, but my self-belief was plummeting. So I think confidence is something you can fake. You can put on a smile, you can have loud energy, you can make noise, you can move your body and look confident, but still feel wildly insecure inside. So I actually think I had confidence, but no self-belief. I would stand in a room, I would speak to people, I'd trained as a dancer, I feel confident to move my body, but to actually speak about my inner darkest demons and show who I really am on the inside, hell no. I think you you kind of pick and choose the confidence you share with others. So I definitely think that alcohol helped me lose my inhibitions. And I would say I was actually more of an introverted person than an extrovert. Like I can come across on social media, like I'm confident and stuff, but that's very easy when I'm in my living room with a camera, put me in an environment with people that I don't know and absolutely crumble. So I think that actually sobriety has helped me with confidence far more than drinking ever did because it's made me really hone in on those demons and work through them and process them. And I'd say that my self-belief now is I feel like I am enough to go into these situations and hold a conversation and make people laugh and show my true self from the beginning rather than feeling like fuck everyone knows me as being this loud bubbly person I now have to keep up to that expectation and and neck a drink to give them what they want whereas now if I want to go and I'm a little bit more laid back and a little bit more reserved I know that that's okay I don't have to be this brash, loud, leery person the whole time. And I think that comes from working on my foundation of self-belief. And then that comes out in the way that I appear confident. Oh, I felt a bit emotional with you talking just then. Like that was really special because I also feel the same way. Like I'm actually introverted and people listen to this. They're like, what the fuck? No, you're not. And I'm like, I am. I spend so much time alone. I recharge on my own. I can only do a certain amount of time in like intense social situations before I feel really overstimulated. And I feel like with the alcohol, I was always able to push through. And then when I removed the alcohol, it was like, oh God, like, okay, this is quite intense, but I can do this for like an hour and then I'm going to bounce and I'm going to smoke bomb. Like you said, do you feel like you experienced that when you started to peel back the layers that alcohol kind of like put around you. Yeah. And I think I'm so much more in tune now with an energy hangover. 
Whereas when you drink through it, like you could be around negative energies and people that don't make you feel great and you will embody whatever they say to you or the comments that they make, but you might not be aware of it at the time because everything's brushed off with a laugh, a smile, a joke. Whereas now, because I'm so in tune with everything and I feel so much more clarity, I notice when I'm pushing through a situation and I'm giving myself burnout or I'm hungover from someone's energy. And I think that definitely, definitely has been a huge part of my journey. Whereas with alcohol, you would just push through. And I think you kind of miss those cues and those little messages that your body sends you. Yeah, it's been difficult because I think without that distraction, without the avoidance, without the suppression and the escapism, you really get to meet yourself. And that's why I started a therapy podcast was because to the outside world, I was the most confident person ever. But on the inside, I actually didn't like myself sometimes. And I really was ashamed of certain things. So would you say that it's sometimes a difficult journey too, but that ultimately you've kind of met the real Steph? 100%. And I think It is difficult. It is difficult. You can feel so alone. If everyone in your friendship group and your family is drinking, you can feel so alone and you can feel like the odd one out and you can feel like everyone's not treating you the same and you question so many things. And throughout your journey, like so many things will go wrong and you'll maybe think, oh God, this isn't for me. But you will learn so much along the way. And I think you learn far more from things that go wrong than things that go right. Like if you were to go sober and it was just effortless and easy, you wouldn't learn anything. And then you'd be like, oh, well, could I just go back drinking? Whereas everything that you're learning throughout the entire process and the journey, you'll learn about parts of yourself that you did not even know existed. It won't be easy, but it will be life-changing. Yeah, you're so right. And I think the feeling so alone point is so important that we touch on because I remember that I was in Mykonos like a couple of years ago and I hated the music like if it's not R&B and it hasn't got words like I don't want anything to do with it and I, I, I live in Tulum where it's like techno I'm just like this is horrendous like it sounds like someone is playing the flute on repeat for like five hours and everyone's fucked up on some weird jungle drug. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like, where is the Jason Derulo? Please give me, (laughs) give me some Rihanna. Give me something with words. And I remember this point in Mykonos, I left. Everyone was fucked, lots of drugs. I left and I went home and I just cried in the shower. I was really sad. I felt like on the edge of the group. These weren't objective facts. It's just, I felt alone. I felt left out. I felt sad, like, oh, that was a really horrible experience for me. But it still doesn't change the fact that sobriety is 100% the best thing I've ever done. But I do think it's important that we do note that there's moments like that are lonely. Have you had any of those moments or not? nothing really springs to mind? Yeah, a group of my closest friends all moved in together at the beginning of lockdown and they had this like party house. I'd been sober probably for about six or seven months at this point and I wasn't living in the house because I was living with my partner and I just felt on the edge of the situation in general. Like I just felt really external to like the fun. And even when I came into the fun, I still felt like an outsider because I had all these private jokes from living together 24-7. So I think you're always going to have those internal thoughts in whatever situation. Even in work environments where you're not drinking, you might think, oh, I feel outside of this work group. But I think it just comes from the internal work that you do. And you just have to like rub your heart and say, do I know this to be true? Do I know this to be fact? And if it isn't hard, cold evidence when someone has told you, you are on the end of this friendship group or you do not belong here, then don't let your mind think about it for more than five seconds. You can acknowledge the thought and be like, oh, this is how I'm feeling. And then let it go. Let it pass. Like, Don't waste your time making up stories in your head that don't exist. 
powerful. I always say, what's the story and what's the truth? Because they're often often vastly different. Now, as we come into the last part of the episode, I want to talk about the brand you have created. She is so cute. Maybe I shouldn't call her a she, but she's so pretty. She's a she. She's she's so cute. Now, before we get into that, I want to know, what was your go-to order before you created Carew's? If you were just on a night out, what would you order? My order would be a ginger beer with fresh lime because it had like a zing and some citrus or literally a water, water in a gin glass with ice and lime. So people thought it was a gin and tonic. Yeah. (laughs) Basically. Yeah. See, for me, I feel like one of my problems, I think, with my initial early sobriety was that like everything I was drinking was so sugary. I love elderflower cordial, right? So it's like, oh, I would love that with sparkling water, similar to you with the ginger beer and the zing. And if not, I would just like have Diet Coke. But then I'm like, that's full of a spa to me. It's so bad for my brain. It's so bad for my body. But I would also like need the caffeine. The alternative is like the normal Coke, but that also has like so much sugar that if you're having five of them, that that's not like a sustainable way to push through the night. So I think I'd love it if you could just tell me a bit around how was Carew's formed? How did you come up with the idea? How did you birth her? This was a really organic journey I think it was kind of around lockdown where zoom quizzes were taking over our time and everyone was getting drunk on zoom and I just felt a little bit like I don't have that release and that kind of output on a Friday night with my friends and all of the non-alcoholic spirits on the market at the time were so botanical and and almost catered to an older audience like an older palette that I just everything was very floral and I just didn't enjoy it and I was like why am I putting all of these chemicals in my body to try and replicate a spirit when I don't want that. And like you said, all of the other alternatives were really sugary. So I just had this idea and I was like, I really want to create a non-alcoholic spirit that isn't trying to replicate an alcoholic spirit. I want it to just be a delicious drink that tastes good on its own or with a mixer and something that I would enjoy time and time again. So I started looking into it and I saw all of these, the industry was booming like 400% year on year at the time. It was really exciting. And then I saw that this range of adaptogen nootropic drinks was booming in the gaming industry. So gamers would stream themselves for like 24, 48 hours and drink adaptogenic drinks that would give them energy or make them feel relaxed and calm. And I was like, why is this not being fused together? Why is the non-alcoholic space not come together? So I started looking into adaptogens and nootropics and I was fascinated by these plant remedies and these ingredients and extracts that have been around for centuries. And I thought, okay, let's do this. Started putting the feelers out there, started building a bit of a team around it by speaking to my manager and my dad and my brother and all of these people that were really involved and wanted to get involved. And for me, the moment I have a name, I make an Instagram page, I trademark it, like I make the idea real. And I literally spent weeks and weeks and weeks coming up with a name. And I came up with all of these things that were good, but didn't feel right. And then I found the word carouse. Well, the what the real word is actually carouse. And it means a noisy, lively drinking party. And I was like, let's spin on that. Carouse, no booze. Like, let's play on that word. And the meaning behind the name is a noisy, lively drinking party. And I wanted something that I would kind of drink to wind down with on a Friday night after a long week of work. And I wanted something that I'd have at pre-drinks to like build me up for a night out. And I looked into different combinations and flavors and we went to labs and we recipe tested and we basically came up with drift and we came up with uplift. So drift is a combination of different fruit extracts. We've got goji berry, different summer fruits, cucumber, ashwagandha, green tea extract. 
And then in Uplift, we have citrus fruits, chili, ginger, ginkgo biloba, maca, and things like, for me, I wanted it to feel more than a squash, but less than an alcohol. I didn't want it to feel like it was a soft drink. So we did developed this mouthfeel for ages so that it, it, it holds in your mouth and it stays there for a while. And also with Uplift, it feels like there's a warmth going down your throat. Like when you drink a rum because of the chili and because of the ginger, it gives you that feeling of, oh, wow, I'm drinking something substantial. And we basically launched May earlier this year. It is literally my pride and joy. The 200 ml bottles are completely preservative free, which is so rare in the non-alc space. And I'm just so excited by it. Like it literally lights me up so much. I could speak about the benefits and the flavors and we're going through processes at the moment of developing them into like showing people how to use them in cocktails and just the whole brand I am obsessed with because it aligns with everything I believe in. And I feel like this is just, we're just on the very, very, very starter of it. I'm I'm just very excited by its potential. I'm very excited by its potential too. And I think it's so interesting what you said about you formulated them so it gives you that feel. Because I also don't want to drink fake wine or fake rum or fake vodka. Like that's not why I drank alcohol in the first place. I drank alcohol to get drunk, not because like I loved the taste of vodka, or, <laughs> which is like disgusting would have me like dry heaving at the bar, like trying to keep it down whilst I'm doing shots. But one of the small things that I do miss is that warmth. So I think it is so amazing that you've kind of taken that into account so you can still have that full body experience because that is part of what you miss out on when you do sort of give it up. Just as well, like sometimes you'd come home from a night out of drinking fizzy drinks or whatever and your teeth would feel furry. So as much as I wanted to create something that tasted nice, I also wanted something that was natural sugars and low sugars and we sweeten ours with agave nectar and it's it doesn't give you that furry teeth feeling. And I think that's so vital because if you want to stay out for like four or five, six hours with your friends or you're going over for a barbecue, you don't want to feel like you've had seven desserts just from drinks alone. So that was a huge part of our development process as well. Yeah. And the no preservatives as well. When you said that, I was like, wow, that is like a huge tick box. Because I know a lot of us are really on this journey, like you said earlier, about nourishing our bodies. And we go sober partially to nourish our bodies because we're like, no, this isn't good for me. It's not good for my gut. It's not good for my body. It's not good for my anxiety. It's not good for my mind, my soul. Yet the drinks that we then replace it with, they don't nourish us. So I love that you formulated that into them as well. And you do a best of both bundle, right? And also a taster bundle. Can you tell me a bit about them? Because I'm just thinking that these are the perfect Christmas gifts for anyone in the family that is sober or sober curious. Yeah. So I think I wanted people to experience both flavors. They're very different. And I think we wanted to do the taster bundle, which is where you get both of the 200 mils for a reduced price. And we wanted to push this so that people could kind of try before they buy. And I think it's so hard to explain the flavor and the feel of these drinks without trying them. So they probably have four portions in the bottle. And we kind of wanted to sell these as like mini little gift sets and they're beautifully packaged. And I think non-alcoholic spirits like really lack in luxury. I think when you celebrate and people get out a bottle of champagne, it's this gorgeous emotive moment where you've got this beautiful bottle and there's the sound of the cork. Like we wanted a moment like that. So our bottles, we designed with luxury in mind, like they're frosted bottles, there's gold leaf on them, not real gold leaf, but like shiny gold bits on them just to make them feel luxurious because you shouldn't be missing out just because you don't want the alcohol. 
And they do make really, really pretty gifts. And then we have the best of both bundle, which is again, the 500 ml bottles, both of them together for a reduced price, because I think you want both moods. You want to wind down on a Friday and then you want to party on a Saturday. So we definitely have put them together for ease of purchase and also because they make beautiful, beautiful gifts. Oh, yeah. And I'm so excited to try them when I get home because obviously I'm in Mexico and you can't get anything here. Even if you were like, oh, I'll send them to you. I'd be like, no, 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 no. Do not do that. There is no postal service here. Someone somewhere is going to have a very happy day when they like open the package and they're like, oh, this is mine now. But I'm so excited. I'm definitely going to be buying some for gifts for everyone around me because I also have a lot of pregnant friends right now. And I feel like they shouldn't have to be restricted and losing out on something that they love as well. And right on with the luxury, like the packaging is so stunning. When I first came across, I was like, wow, she has done such a good job. So I just want to say I am honestly like enamored by everything you've created and and how much thought and love and energy you've put into it. And as we come to wrap up, I think my final question for you, not that there's a right or wrong answer or that there ever even needs to be this decision. I know it can just be a day by day, month by month thing for some people. Do you think that you would ever drink again? I really don't. I think it took away more from my life than adding to it and how I'm feeling now, the connections I have, the friendships I have, the love that I have for this lifetime. I can't see myself drinking anytime soon. Yeah. And that's the same as me. Like sometimes I think, oh, it would be nice in future to just maybe have a glass of wine in a vineyard, very specific (laughs) things that I come up with. And then I'm like, it's just not going to happen. I'm just so much better this way. And the thought of ever going back to young Lulu on playing the bongos in the freezer in Thailand, I'm like, I did that section of my life. I loved it, hated it in equal measures. And life is just calmer this way, right? 100% agree. And I also think that research is going to come out that is going to align alcohol with cigarettes. I can see it happening. I can see huge shifts. I mean, the statistics are there of younger people choosing not to drink. I just see the research coming out and I was being like, oh my God, I can't believe we used to drink that much in a week. So I feel really confident within my decision. Yeah, you are so right. And I think you just have to hear people saying that if alcohol was discovered now, it would be like labeled as a class A drug that's the moment that maybe you just need to hear to be like, okay, this thing that's been so normalized actually maybe shouldn't be quite so normal at all. But again, no shame, no judgment around this episode. This is just us sharing our experiences. We respect and love whatever works for you. We just want you to live the calmest, most vibrant, healthy, happy, full of love life that you can live. So Steph, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you so much for listening my pleasure. Tell us where we can find you if people want to come and find you, if they want to come and buy the drinks for Christmas, where can we find you? So I am on Instagram and my handle is just at Steph Ellswood. I'm also on YouTube under Steph Ellswood and you can find Carews at drinkcarews.com and that's spelt C-A-R-O-U-S-E. We're going to link all of that in the show notes. And for anyone that's not watching this on video, Steph Ellswood has the best fucking hair of anyone I have ever met in my whole entire life. Every time she posts, I'm like sat here with my dirty motorbike, sun bleached, disgusting hair. And I'm like, in my next lifetime, I'm going to have hair like Steph. So if you also want to get Steph's hair, that's all on her YouTube. I have watched the entire video. I can tell you, she tells you step by step what you need to do to not only go sober, but also to get the best hair ever. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's so shiny. I'm just looking at it now. I'm like, wow. No, it's, really... the ring light. it's the ring light. It's the ring light. Yeah, I don't have a ring light. Maybe I need to get one of them. 
Oh, okay. You're amazing. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can do this sometime next year in person in a Spotify studio somewhere together. We'd love that. Thank you. Take care. Bye.